0: It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. My name is Pastor Tim, and I've got the great privilege of uh, leading our time in God's Word uh, together. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews this morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, for the last 20 or so weeks, we've been in a series that we've entitled, Jesus, the Greatest of All Times. And we've been studying this New Testament letter that was written to a group of Hebrew Christians who were getting beat up and beat down for their uh, walk with their newfound savior Jesus Christ of Nazareth and they were starting to feel like they needed to give up and maybe give in on this relationship they had and the writer here tells them that that would be the most foolish thing for them to do and so he writes what is a long sermon that we have been studying verse by verse for uh, the last set of months and we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25. And if you want to follow along, we've got a sermon insert page for you in the bulletin. And uh, we look forward to what God is going to teach us this morning. Let me just take a moment to pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask now that you would be our teacher. You would be our guide. You would lead. And uh, that you would encourage us and equip us by your spirit through your word. I ask, the Lord, that any distractions or things that would keep us from fully hearing from you, and uh, being revealed all that you have for us, that that would be put away. So in this moment, in this place, we might be able to make you the priority. We love you and give you praise for it all, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A couple months ago, my wife and I uh, were visiting a family from the church, and as we walked into their foyer of their house, we were met by this sign that said, House Rules, And and the house rules, there was a list of all of these different attributes and activities and practices that they wanted you uh, to be a part of. In essence, because you were entering into this house, the the rules of the house were to live in a certain way. Uh, The one that I saw in the house had the family's name on it, which personalized it all the more, saying, now that you've entered so-and-so's house, you're expected... Uh, to live a certain way. Uh, but none of the rules are all that difficult or, or hard. They're not a list of things that you would say are a drudgery. They're just reminders of what it means to be a part of a very loving and kind family. Well, in our passage this morning, the writer of Hebrews tells us that there are some house rules when it comes to being a part of God's family. For the last nine and a half chapters, the writer has been telling us a lot about who Jesus is. He's done so telling us over and over again that Jesus is better, Jesus is greater than anything that these Jewish followers Uh, could ever have imagined. He was better than the patriarchs, as great as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob where Jesus is greater and better. He's better than the prophets and these men that spoke on behalf of God. Jesus was far greater than any prophet that had come. He was better than the temple, the tabernacle, the place where uh, God's presence dwelled in the Old Testament days and the place where God's people would worship, Jesus was greater and better than that. He was even greater and better than the Mosaic Law, those 613 rules and regulations that would lead and guide the people of God to obey and honor God in all that they said and did. And so he's been telling us this over and over again. Maybe for some of you have been sitting there, hey, Pastor Tim, let's, let's move on. I get it. I got it locked in. Jesus is greater. And that's why we want to remind you, Jesus isn't just greater. He's the greatest of all time. And so what we have is now this pivot point, this hinge in chapter 10, verse 19. And it hinges upon this word, therefore. And what he's going to say is, for the rest of this message that he's preaching, the rest of this letter that we're reading, he's going to say, in light of, since, or because, Jesus is the greatest of all time, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live in light of what Jesus is in my life, what Jesus is in the universe. It's going to change the way that I worship, It's going to change the way I interact with other uh, believers, other family members in this house of God. It's going to change the way that I give. It's going to change the way I invest my time. It's going to change the way I engage in my marriage. It's going to change the way I interact with Christian leaders or church leaders. It's going to change the way I deal with uh, persecution, trials, and difficulties. It's going to change the way that I deal when God disciplines me as a father disciplines a son because of the fact that Jesus is the greatest of all time. That is not just this idea we get in our heads, but it should transform every aspect of our lives. And so the writer says, in light of the nine and a half chapters that I've told you about how great and awesome Jesus is, now I'm going to give you some house rules of what needs to change. Now, this idea of house is in the passage. In verse 21, we are told about being in the house of God, that we have a great high priest over God's house. But we've seen this motif of family in house a couple other places. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, tells us that uh, we are in the family of God or the house of God. God is building this house, and we are the material that He's using to build it. But He goes even deeper than that. We're not just this building, but we're a family. In Hebrews chapter two, we are reminded that, in fact, in Hebrews chapter two, verse 11, that we are brothers and sisters to Christ. That he says Jesus isn't ashamed. Even though we have sin, even though we've let down God and, and uh, fallen by the wayside so often, Jesus is not ashamed, as great as he is, to call us our brothers, his brothers and sisters. And we have this idea of being a part of a family. And so what the question then this morning is, what are the house rules for this house of God? What are the family rules? How are we to engage one another? What are we to focus in on? What are the things that we need to make priorities in our lives? Three times in our text, we're gonna see the phrase, and let us, let us. Let us do one, let us do two, let us do three. And each of those is a question that, am I engaged in that? I've been, in essence, asked to be a part of it. Am I living it out in my lives? So we have this great therefore. In light of all that Jesus has done, How now are we supposed to live? There are three house rules in our passage this morning that I want to break down, each of them, giving some time and attention to what the life application of that rule is. So rule number one, you need to recognize, I need to recognize that we have been invited. We have been invited, and the question is, will we go in? Notice the text with me this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what are we to do? Notice what he says. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's stop there. We see an invitation. Let us draw near. The first thing that the writer wants us to know is he is inviting us to get close to God. Now, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but this would have been earth-shattering for the original recipient's of this letter. For them, they were a part of a nation that had a relationship with God. But this personal identity, that wasn't there. That I, as an individual, could have a relationship with God was something foreign to the listener in the days of the Hebrews. They would have known as a nation, yes, I'm a part of a nation that honors God and God speaks to us as a nation. And every once in a while, God speaks to a particular person. He spoke to Moses and he spoke to the prophets. He spoke to King David. But surely, God wouldn't speak to me. And here amidst this new covenant is this invitation for you to draw near to God. Now, this invitation means a couple things. First of all, write this down. It involves a new association. A new association. Notice what it says. Therefore, my brothers, or therefore probably better rendered in your translation would be my brothers and sisters. The writer the leader, uh, the, the super Christian who was writing this letter could have said, listen, I'm speaking on behalf of God. I'm up here and you're down here. He doesn't say that at all. He says, listen, we're brothers and sisters. Now that was different than what the Hebrews would have known in their time of worship. When they would come to the temple, they would bring their sacrifice and they would hand their sacrifice to a go-between. And that go-between was a priest and that priest was higher than you were. That priest, or ha- priest had a closer relationship than, than you did. And so you would ask for him to serve as an advocate, to serve as a mediator between God and you. And so there was this laity or, or the people in the pew. And then there were the spiritual leaders. What we learn is within the family of God, there's not this distinction of this priesthood and then everybody else. There wasn't this idea that certain people could do certain things and go certain places, but everybody else had to stay by the wayside. The idea here is within a family, we have this new personal interaction, this thing where we are known and and we know one another in a new and real way. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, you're a part of a family, Now, this association would lead to, because of Jesus Christ, total access. Now, this is so important. This access that we have was seen in the uh, temple worship that would take place during the Old Testament. There were places that you couldn't go when you worshipped in the temple. There was the outer courts and everybody as a Jew could go into the outer courts as a part of the nation of Israel. Then there was the holy place, and that was where all the priests could go, and they could be a part of different aspects of worship there and different elements of of worship in the holy place. And then there was the most holy place, or otherwise rendered the holy of holies. And one of the priests, the great high priest, got to enter that most holy place, or the holy of holies, once, a year. One guy, once a year, went into that. And so what you see is all of these no admittance signs. You have all these do not enter signs all over the place in Old Testament worship. But notice what happens. In the family of God, as we are a part of God's family, God says you get to go anywhere you want. You get to access all of the places. Now, the biggest most formidable of do not enter signs was this curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. You remember if you have studied the Bible that this curtain has a huge element in the Easter story. Uh, on Good Friday when Christ gives up his spirit, the text tells us in the gospels, in fact Matthew 27 tells us, that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It, it was separated and, and there was opportunity. Now This curtain was to keep out all of the sights and sounds, all of the smells, all of the activities. It was supposed to stay inside the Holy of Holies. Likewise, it was to be so uh, formidable that you couldn't hear what was going on outside of the Holy of Holies. It was to be a sanctuary, a dwelling place for God that when the uh, great high priest, would stand in that place, it was just him and God. And whatever was happening there, it happened. Now, this formidable curtain was 60 feet tall, 40 feet wide, and five to six inches deep, or or uh, uh, wide, if you will. The idea here is, for some of you who are 40 years and older, it's one of the thickest yellow page books you've ever seen, right? So some of the kids in here are like, what's a yellow page Okay, so ask your mom and dad, all right? Thick. And it was to tell people that you didn't go there. But notice what the text tells us. The text tells us that that curtain has been taken away. Now, for that curtain to be taken away, it involved something. Just as God tore the curtain from the holy place to the holy of holies, God did some tearing in another place. And that was through his son. Notice what the text tells us. It says that we are able to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus that was opened through the curtain that is through his flesh. When Christ went to the cross of Calvary, he was torn open for us and in allowing that to take place as we go through the blood of Jesus, as we go through the sacrifice of Jesus, you and I now have total and unfettered access to God. This would have been unthinkable for the people that were reading this as Jewish Hebrew Christians and this is what made Jesus so much greater than anything else. Now, notice all of this is because of Jesus. It isn't because you've done something. Listen to me, God isn't looking at you like you're on the playground and he's picking out the best people to be on his team and he looks at you and says, you're really good. I want you on my team. No, we are broken, we are fragile, we are uh, dysfunctional people and God in his mercy and love through the work of Jesus Christ said, I invite you into my family, and so that's what he does. Now notice, he does this, and he gives us total access, and notice what he wants us to do. He wants us to not only be a part of a new association and new access, but he wants to also give us a full assurance. Notice in the text. The text tells us that we are able to enter this place, we're able to enter the holy places Notice the phrase, with confidence, we have confidence to do so, and notice later in verse 22, in full assurance of faith. Two words that are different in the Greek language, but both mean the same thing. What it means is that you have total freedom. Freedom to do a couple things. Number one, freedom to be yourself. What that means is by the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you and I have freedom to enter the holy place in God's presence and we don't have to do anything. We don't have to, before we do it, fix ourselves up and all of that. Why? Because the Bible says as we enter through Christ, our mediator, the only mediator between God and man, Christ is sprinkling us with his blood. So maybe you're here today and say, I'm hearing that I'm invited into the family of God, but but surely I've got to fix this, 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 and this before I come. No, Jesus says, come, enter through me, and I will make you holy. I will make you clean. I will make you uh, what you need to be to enter the presence of God. And there's this full assurance. The full assurance is also that there's no fear of reprisal or retribution. The idea here is you can be at home in the presence of God. I'm 44 years old, and I have two places that I feel at home, okay? One, my house at 410 Prairie View Lane. But there's another house, 9846 Rimsnyder Road. It's my mom and dad's house. My mom and dad, I once knocked on the door right after I got married, and my mom yelled at me, this is still your house, Okay? You're always invited in. You don't knock. What an offense to me that you would knock. Am I a hotel that you would do this? No, this is your house. And that's the idea of full assurance and confidence. You are home with God. You are able to do and to live as you are. Now, does that mean you can do whatever you want? No, there are certain house rules to living in God's house. But God doesn't want you walking around on pins and needles, He wants you to have confidence. Now, here's the thing. He knows we're gonna struggle. He knows we're gonna sin. My mom wouldn't say, hey, Tim, you're invited in when you've got all your ducks in a row. No, a loving mom would say, hey, I don't care if you're dirty. I don't care if you're this. You come. You're a part of the family. And what the author and the writer is trying to tell us is that when we enter into the family of God, it changes our relationships with one another, and it changes our relationship with God. We have been invited in. Now, the question is, will we go in? Now the Bible talks a lot about Jesus or Jesus talks a lot about in the Bible uh, 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 masters inviting people to parties. He tells the story that there was a great master in the land and he wanted to invite all of the land to this great celebration. And so he sent his servants to go invite all of his friends and all of his acquaintances and they went out and invited and nobody would come. And then Jesus said, because the, The man had prepared a banquet and prepared for the festivities. He said, well, surely we can find people who want to come. And they went to the highways and byways, and they found people, and they invited them in. And some of you right now maybe are hearing for the first time, you've been invited. You've been invited by Almighty God into a relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the question you've got to answer today is, will I accept that invitation? Will I, by faith, believe and trust that that invitation brings me into the most holy place with God himself and all the benefits and blessings that come of being a part of the family of God? Now, there are some who have been invited in, you know you've been invited in, and you go in, but you're walking around God with pins and needles. You're walking around, and, and you think God is this, this mean God, this dictatorial God. If you spill something on the carpet during the festivities, God's going to kick you out of the party and all of that. Maybe you don't like the other ones that God's invited to the party. You see, Jesus tells a story about that as well, right? There's a story of a young, young man who wanted to go sow his wild oats. And so he told his father, give me your inheritance. I know you're not dead yet, but I want to leave. So give me money so I can rebel against you. He took what he had from his father and he went and he sowed his wild oats with prostitutes and wild living. And then he came to the census after he had spent all the money. After he had run out of all of that he had, he remembered that even the hired servants of his father lived better than he was because he found himself in squalor in the pig pen fighting the pigs for the food. So he says, I'll go back and I'll be a servant to my father. And Jesus tells us that as he's coming back, the father sees him and with open arms receives the son and says to all of the servants, says to the house, hey, go kill the fattened calf, go get the ring, go get the robe, we're throwing a party and so a party is involved there's this invitation come back into my house you who were lost you who were blind you who uh, were outside of the household of God now the lost has been found he throws this party but remember there was another brother and the other brother was mad because he's like wait a minute my brother isn't worth throwing a party for my brother shouldn't be invited in Some of you this morning don't like who you see invited to the party. And like you, the older brother said, I'm not going in. I'm not going to be a part of the party. And some, there are many people who say, you know what, I don't like the church that God has put together. I don't like his family, so I'm not going to be a part of the family. I may worship God from afar, but I'm not going to enter into that with confidence and with true fellowship. And so what's holding you back from with full confidence and assurance of faith to enter into this relationship, to fall madly and deeply in love with the God of the universe, to engage with him? What's holding you back from experiencing the fullness of what God has for you in relationship that he wants so much for you to experience? There's an invitation there. Will you go in? Number two, notice that once we're invited in, God invests in us. We're invested. And the question is, will we grab hold? Will we grab hold? In chapter, uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now notice what he says in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let's stop there. What he's saying is, is that God has done something. God has given us something. He's given us something that we need. What is that something? That is a confession. Notice that phrase confession there. Thank you, sir. What's that confession? Notice in the text that this confession has to do with something that's transpired just before verse 23, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what he's saying is we made this confession at some point in some time. Now, most commentators believe this is an allusion to baptism. A couple weeks ago, we had five individuals in our services go into the waters of baptism. But before they did, they dedicated, they proclaimed, they declared to everyone in the room, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've come to experience Jesus the greatest of all time, and I don't care who knows. I want to announce to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. He has all of my allegiances. He is my priority. I'm going to live for him. These individuals we're running the risk of giving up on what they had declared in their baptism. Now there's a couple of things I want you to see here. This this word that he says let us hold fast is the Greek word katecho. Uh, this word katecho means you hold on to something at all cost. Uh you hold on to something uh in such a way because you don't want to veer to the left or to The right. It was a nautical term of a captain who was holding the wheel of a ship amidst the storms that were brewing around him. So he's being tossed to and fro and he's holding the wheel wanting to get to the place that he was destined to go. We need to hold fast. We need to as well hold to something. What are we to hold to? The confession of our hope. Jesus is the greatest of all time. We have to hold fast to that. Now, those individuals who got baptized, they declared that. From that point on, the world and their flesh has made a concerted effort to tell them to renege on that and to go a different way. The world says, really, does Jesus need to be your all in all? Can't you figure it out on your own? The flesh says, listen, Jesus says no to certain appetites that you have, so maybe do it your own way and your own timing and fulfilling your own desires. You see, we need to grab hold as we are being tossed to and fro. We need to hold firm to that. We need to hold fast to the confession we've had. That's our responsibility. That's it. Now, there's a couple things we need to know about it. This impacts our standing. It impacts our standing. Notice what it says. It is the confession of hope. We have this hope that we aren't to waver with. This hope is all that Christ has said about himself, all that the writer has talked about for these last nine and a half chapters, we see that we are to live in light of. Not to be anxious, not to be worried, not to wonder, what about if this happens? What about if that happens? What about if this opportunity, sinful opportunity comes? What am I gonna do? No, I'm gonna hold fast. I'm gonna stay in the direction that I need to. I'm going to stand firm. So let me ask you this morning. How well are you doing at steering the ship of your life? And is it on course with where Christ has called you to? Or do you find yourself doing really well on Sunday's staying course? Or when you're around believers, but when you're by yourself or you're with a a group of friends who aren't followers of Jesus Christ, that you begin to start faltering from one side to the other. That you find yourself uh, moving away from the true north of Christ in your life. Now here's the thing, the reason why we can hold without wavering is the Bible says the one who promised is faithful. And so when we want to waver, when we feel like we're going to falter, we look to Christ and we see Christ who will learn later, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who was willing to stay on the course no matter the trouble and the difficulties that came his way? And if God is faithful to see Jesus through that, surely he'll be faithful to see me through it as I endure these difficult moments and time. But notice this standing also involves our speaking, our speaking, of which I'm having difficulty today doing. Our speaking. This idea, this confession is the Greek word homologia. Homologia, it was a confession of a witness in a courtroom. And so what this confession was is it was a statement you would make. It was a statement you would make before the judge in the courtroom, and the audience of the people who were watching the courtroom proceedings. And so what you would have is you would be a witness, and you would be called up to the witness stand, and you were to give your confession of what you knew about the situation they were talking about in that day. For Christ followers, we are God's witnesses, Acts 1-8 says, and we have a confession that Jesus is the greatest of all time. Now, We need to say that to the judge, God our Father in heaven, but we need to also declare that to the audience of those around us. So let me ask you this morning, of the confession of hope that you have, that Jesus is the greatest of all time, is that something you tell other people about? Do your co-workers know that you were at a place yesterday, we're talking about on Monday, do your co-workers know that yesterday, Sunday, you were in a building with hundreds of other people and you sang about, you prayed to, you heard the preaching about Jesus Christ of Nazareth who is the Son of God and Savior of the world and you believe that with all your heart and you've dedicated your life to the worship and obedience to him? Do they know that? Do your neighbors know that? Do your friends know that? Does the stranger in the checkout aisle at the grocery store know that? This confession is a confession that is being said over and over again. The participle uh, that it's found in, it means it's happening again and again. We are continually giving up this confession that Jesus is who he is and has done what he has said he has done, and we are going to live in response and in light of that, and we're going to tell the world about it. You see, for a lot of us as Christians, we want to keep it quiet What'd you do yesterday as you're standing next to the water cooler? I petered around the house and got this done and you know, put away the Christmas decorations now that the snow is gone. Anything else? No, that was it. No, I dedicated some time gathering with God's people to announce to not only my God in heaven but to a watching world Jesus is the greatest of all time. That is my confession. Are you grabbing hold of it And are you getting it out to other people? These are the house rules. God says, I don't want you just to be in my family and not tell anybody about it. God has a family that he wants all the other families of the world to know that you're missing out if you're not a part of that family. Man, to be with those people, to be with my father in heaven, there is nothing greater than that. We've been invited. We've been invested in. Finally, we are to be involved. And the question is, are we plugged in? Notice verse 24 and 25. And let us, there's the third let us, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day drawing near. The final thing we are supposed to do is we 're to be engaged with one another, that is we 're to be involved with one another we 're a family. I, I live in a family of five individuals: my wife, Amanda and I, and our three almost teenage boys luke 's almost thirteen. So each of us have our own schedule. We have our own needs. There's a lot happening in this chapter of our life. Uh, Tomorrow, two of my oldest sons will start the morning around 6 in the morning because they've got soccer practice, which starts tomorrow. I don't know how they're going to do soccer out there, but they're going to do soccer, okay? But they're still playing basketball, and they've got basketball games, so they're going to go from 6 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. It's a full day of activity with school in the middle and all of that. There's a lot of moving parts for those guys, those boys, to be ready for that full day of activity. So mom and dad have to make sure they have what they need. So we've got to have practice, uniform, or practice clothes and uniform for the game at night. We need to make sure homework's done for the classes in the middle. We need to make sure they eat at some point. We need to make sure they go to bed at some point so they're ready for this full day. We're interdependent upon one another. And because we live involved lives, we need others involved in us because we can't live this spiritual life in God's family alone. And so what the writer says is there are some things as a family we need to be involved in. So notice a couple things that we see. Number one, we need to be involved in examining one another. Examining one another. Notice the word there, consider. That word in the Greek literally means to look at something intently, to give close attention to something, to be focused in on a particular thing. What does that mean in God's family? That means when we enter into times together, we're looking intently at the people that are around us. I just made some people feel really, really awkward. And so you're looking at the people around you, and you're considering them. You're considering them, and the Bible says in in the book of Philippians that you should consider others better than yourself or more important than yourself. So right away, you take your eyes off of yourself, and you say, that person sitting next to me, they're more important than I am. They've got needs, so what are the needs? And we're giving off signals, Our body language says if we're discouraged. Our body language says if we've had a great week or not. And we are to examine one another, to consider closely one another, and ask the question, what can I do to serve them? See, some of you came in and you had no thought other than I'm here to watch. That's not church. Church is I'm coming to be on the lookout. I'm coming not to look at my interests, but I'm going to consider the interest of those who are sitting around me. What are their needs? What are their hurts? What words of encouragement can I do? How can I serve them? How can I make their life a little easier to live? How can I help them get closer in their walk with God? We've got to examine one another. Is your head up? Can you see the people around you? Are you so focused in on your own issues, on your own struggles, that you can't look around to the issues and the struggles of others? The Christian life is that we would examine one another. Why? We examine one another to do something. Notice the phrase, to stir up. uh, Some translations will say. Uh, Others say to spur on. That in the Greek literally means to jab To agitate. Some people are like, this is my kind of church. I've come to agitate this morning. Some are more introverted. People are like, oh, I'm getting out of here as quickly as possible. I do not want to be jabbed or agitated. The idea here is that the agitation will take off things that are keeping you from your fullest potential. Maybe you've grown lazy, and we need someone to say, hey, as we'll do with our our boys every once in a while when they're uh, going through uh, endless episodes of The Mandalorian, hey, there's life outside of the Star Wars universe. Let's get out. Let's go. So it's this little poking, this little jab. Hey, hey, you've got homework to do. Hey, hey, the the grass needs to be mowed or the driveway needs to be shoveled. Hey, you know, maybe engage with your friends. It's not just about the TV. It's this very helpful uh, pushing to something more effective. You see, Christians, we at times can grow stodgy in our walks with God. We need others to freshen us up. Now, many of you know I'm bivocational. That is, I have another job besides pastoring this church. And my other job is I serve as a caterer. And our specialty of catering is doing outdoor grilling. And as we grill, we'll grill for long periods of time, for hours on end. And as we're grilling and on charcoal, our charcoal will start to get dusty. Well, where's the dust come from? From the fire that was there a couple minutes ago has burned the coal, and dust now has shrouded the coal. And the job is, is that once that dust gets on the coal, the coal isn't as fresh and it isn't as powerful as it could be. And so my cooks will, from time to time, take a rake and they will agitate the coals. They will hit the coals and the dust will fall down at the base of the grill. So now they get red hot again. They're ready to go that next chapter. You see, when we consider how to spur or to stir one another up, we're shaking the dust off of our lives, our spirituality, so we're red hot. So when we gather together, we're on the lookout looking to who we can minister to And our job is to shake them up a little bit so that they'll be hotter as they leave for a new week in the world. Now listen, talking about the Bears quarterback controversy isn't going to stir people up towards love and good works. Talking about the weather isn't going to do that as well. It's going to mean being involved with one another. This is why our small groups are so important, gathering together and stirring one another up. So that we leave hotter than we came in. It's going to take some agitating and some jabbing. Next, notice we need to engage with one another. It tells us that we're some in the midst of the Hebrews who were neglecting getting together. They weren't showing up to church. Now... Talk about a bold statement. Now granted, he wrote this in a letter so he didn't have to sit there and and experience people being mad that he was being legalistic that they would be at church. But he says, hey, let's be careful not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. And there's silence. Jimmy's not here today. Is he talking about Jimmy? Renee's not here. Is he talking about Renee? Renee? Tim hasn't been here for a long time. He surely is talking about Tim. What was keeping these people from being at church? Fast forward just a couple verses, notice verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened and you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Let's stop there. Why weren't they going to church? Because travel ball was going on. Why weren't they at church? Because it just felt really good to sleep in. Why weren't they at church? Because uh, they wanted to get a, a, a great start on a beautiful um, sunny day in Chicago, some of the best four days we have in a year, right? All kinds of excuses, right? No, their excuses, notice what it says. Their excuses were when they went to church, they endured struggles and sufferings. When they went to church, they were exposed to reproach and affliction. That is, they went to church, and then they left church, and they went to work the next day, and they were mocked, and they were ridiculed, and they were laughed at because they were there. They went to church, and they were thrown in prison. They went to church, and while they were at church, people were so offended that they were at church that they stole, they robbed their houses and plundered them. That's why they weren't at church. And here's the crazy thing. He still rebukes them. What would he have done about travel ball? What would he have done about sleeping in? What would he have done about making sure your landscaping was done? I pity us that if the writer of Hebrews was here today, the words he would have used if he was this hard on them because they were being thrown in prison for going to church, what would he say to us? Now, why is going to church so important? So we can cross it off the list? No, here's the thing. We go to church because Jesus is the greatest of all time. And if we believe Jesus to be the greatest of all time, then surely the gathering with God's people will be a huge priority. Now, he doesn't say you gotta have perfect attendance What he says is don't neglect, don't abandon. That is where you as sensible people are gonna have to figure that out. Am I abandoning, am I neglecting a clear command of scripture? Only you can answer that. I heard recently of a pastor who went off on his people because of COVID that they're not at church. Listen, that's between you and God. Now I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you're here But I want you to ask the question, what is more important than gathering with God's people if, and this is really important, if we say Jesus is the greatest of all time? Now I need to ask, okay, Lord, I want to sleep in. Just so you know, personal revelation, I do this every Sunday. I want to sleep in. Will they really miss me if I don't come? Amanda, surely someone can fill in, right? And she says, no, you didn't get anybody to fill in. You got to go to church. I don't sometimes want to go to church. I don't want to hear that guy talk. But I've got to ask the question, is what I'm doing more of a priority than gathering with God's people? And here's what I've got to ask. Am I missing out on an opportunity to spur or stir someone on toward loving good deeds? You may say, well, I don't need it. I can plug in and and watch Pastor Tim. I'm on Facebook on the hour, it seems. Every time I go on Facebook, my face is there. It's very, very appalling, okay? It comes up, Village is Live, and there's Pastor Tim, and that's an ugly face, okay? It's jarring. I'll just watch him on TV, I'm glad we have that technology, but that technology makes you a spectator, not one who is serving one another. So let's balance this, and let's ask the question, is there someone who needs me there? Maybe I could use a couple hours of sleep. Well, I'll get some sleep in the afternoon, but someone needs to hear from me. Someone needs to be encouraged in their walk, and and I'm the one that God's called to be a part of it. Brothers and sisters, we must engage. Now, right away, and I'll close with this, it would be really easy to take this passage and beat people down with it and I don't want to do that because here's what it says it says we are to encourage one another and that word encourage in the Greek is such a tender word it's such a caring word it's a word that says you're important to me it's a word that says that we are living life together and so will family have to tell one another sometimes some hard truths yeah I've had to be on the receiving end of hard truths from my family and I've been on the giving end of hard truths to my family and neither are fun. And so we need to do so in an encouraging way. And so we encourage one another as we falter, as they falter. We encourage one another when we sin and when we struggle. We encourage one another and we do so because we keep pointing somewhere and that somewhere is one day One day in the future of which we are a day closer, the day is coming, the day that we have been practicing for, gathering as God's people, invited into this, invested into it, and now involved in this gathering that one day Jesus Christ is gonna come. And on that day, there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more shame and there'll be no more sickness and sadness. It will be that day where God will gather his family for the greatest family reunion for all of us eternity and until we get there yeah amen and until we get there we gather together and until we get there we spur one another on and until we get there we keep encouraging one another and until we get there we bear one another's burdens and we do so because Jesus is great and because he's so great and because he's invited us in we are going to be there with bells and whistles on amen And so we're going to be a part. So how involved are you? How plugged in are you? God's invited us to this. And he's done so not to make a burden, but to be a blessing. And so I pray that you as sensible people will use your minds to say, Lord, Tim has said a lot. What do I need to take hold of? What do I need to grab? What needs to change? And between you and the Lord, do that business so that you might honor him and might serve one another to the best of your abilities.